Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show. Great baseball talk all week long and every Tuesday. That includes us. Uh, so, I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. Joined, as always, except for last week, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster. Professor, distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you, my friend? How'd you survive last week while I was taking a few days <laughs> after the break in Colorado? Uh yes, very well, very well. I, I see it. You you made it through the security checkpoint to get yep. back into Starkville. So I did. great work. <laughs> yes. Um, so, but yeah, we we made it. I think we held our own here, and uh, Starkville is is once again united. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that show. I thought Susan. Uh, Walden was awesome. Uh, one thing I couldn't help but notice was you wimped out on trivia, Doug. Like, isn't Starkville with that trivia kind of like Philadelphia with that cheesesteaks? Yeah, it, it is. But then if I don't have the the buns and and since, you know, I just I felt like it was incomplete. <laughs> it was like cheesesteak without the bread. So uh, now that with the bread is back. Yes. Now we're back into it. We need two brains to make this happen. I, I see. So that, like that, we've just summed up my role on this show. I'm the baked goods. <laughs> okay, glad we cleared that up. Uh, let me let me just assure people: trivia will return this week later in this podcast because I take it upon myself, Doug, to restore order to this show. So no more trivia vacations for for you. Uh, also on this show, we'll have the GM of our team, Jim Bowden. Join us to talk about the trading deadline. Uh, I, I know that I'll bring this up when we, we bring Jim in, but I don't know anybody who, who loves the deadline more than Jim Bowden. Nobody. Not me. I know that. Uh, so w- why don't you and I talk about this deadline? Uh, Doug, you know, you've never been a GM like Jim, but you have been a player who's seen his name in rumors. You've been a player who actually got traded at the deadline. You've played on teams that I think found themselves in July straddling that buy-sell line. I I find those teams really interesting uh, this time of year. Like the Nationals, what will they do this week? The Braves, the Phillies, Mariners, Angels, Reds. 
you know, are they all a three-game losing streak away from doing what they've said they prefer to do, which is buying? So uh, let me ask you, Doug, uh, like what's a team that you played on in your day, if there was one, that walked that tightrope? And, you know, what's it like when you're on a team like that, you lose two in a row and you think, oh, my God, i got to get traded. Or you win three in a row and you think, whoa, maybe we'll make the biggest deal of the week. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, unfortunately I've been on a lot of teams that they were already – uh, selling in like <laughs> May, so that that's never helpful. Right. Owen fourteen start in ninety seven, but but um, there was a couple teams. You know, I know when Larry Boa took over, we had some good runs where we were neck and neck with the Braves. You know, two thousand and one, and you know, I remember getting one year we had Dennis Cook and Turk Wendell. Oh, you yeah? know, more of a bullpen help scenario. We didn't get the big bat, at least that I can recall. I know we moved like uh, Jeremy Giambi at one point. I know he came into the mix, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, so when you know, so with the Moneyball thing, I remember like this guy was amazing. Like he hit home runs or he walked. He was just on base all the time, and and so I, you know, I know we made some moves, and I, you know, of course later in my career I was one of those moves, but you know, it's it's always tough on the clubhouse because you're you've built a rapport with players, and if you're in the race. To the point where you're acquiring talent, you do recognize that all these players in the room were contributors to why you're even in the race. And you build friendships and connections, even though you know how the business works. You know, it could be your best friend. It could be someone you hang out with a lot on the team that might be shipped elsewhere. Or someone comes in and they lose their job, effectively. So so there's there's somewhat conflict in that way, even though you, you realize that this is the opportunity. But remember, when I was traded to the Cubs, we were a 500 team in 2003. So we ended up winning the division, but that could have gone any any which way. And just like you said, there's teams that are three, four games away from all of a sudden making moves and then being eliminated. And like, why did we do that, right? So, so um, you know, there's, there's a leap of faith. And it, for me, the 2003 trade with Dusty Baker worked out well. But we didn't. We certainly didn't know it at the time. Yeah, it worked out well, except for your hair. Yeah, no, the hair didn't. <laughs> if I work remember out. that. Yeah, the hair. The, the hair had to get cut by order of the great Dusty Baker. That story has been told about seventeen times on this show. But you know, you just you just laid this out. It, it these moves can really have an impact on a team, on a clubhouse, and. Like I'll give you an example, Doug. I keep thinking about that Nelson Cruz deal that the Rays just made. Uh, like when a guy like Nelson Cruz walks into the locker room in July, doesn't the whole room go, holy crap, that's <laughs> Nelson freaking Cruz? Yeah. Uh, that, that's the reception I got in Chicago when I was trading uh, from yeah, Texas. Yeah, I'm sure. They're like, what? Doug Glanville is here. <laughs> It's like our fourth outfielder, pinch runner, <laughs> will change everything. So um, yeah, it you know it it definitely shows a certain seriousness. I think that that's why you see a lot of players speaking openly about like, hey, I, I thought something was going to happen. There is a feeling when you're close and you're you're in the race that you want help. You don't want to think of it personally, but it it does play out that way at different times. And, and just take when I got traded from Texas. You know, John Hart, the GM, calls me, I think, on July 30th. And he was a little bit nervous because I was on fire. I was literally on fire that July. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't get out. Wait, you were literally on fire? 
Like literally on fire. They needed fire like, extinguishers every time yes, you walked in yeah, the room. At least the pitchers did because I, I was just unconscious. <laughs> okay, and um, literally on fire. You understand yeah. w- yes. how people might take that, right? <laughs> yes, yes. That's okay. all right. That's a yeah. yeah. So okay. In the, baseball, in the baseball world, that that actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> okay. So um, so there's no fire department, and I was just on a roll, and I knew that at the moment I was thinking, okay, we're we're not a very good team. But now that I came off the disabled list and I'm hot again, this is my chance to kind of earn another contract, earn another opportunity. So selfishly, selfishly, you're saying, all right, I'm in Texas, we're not winning, but I want to be in a place where I'm going to play every day. And being that there's no guarantee on where you're going to get traded, you could end up in the trash heap off the bench on a team that doesn't even make the postseason, and that's going to hurt your free agent prospects. So you're kind of grappling with this idea. Of course, you want to win. You want to be in the postseason. But you're also looking and saying, well, wait a minute. I could. This is no guarantee. And I'm starting every day in Texas. Why do I want to be on a bench on a 500 team in, in Chicago, right? So those were the questions. And, and I think you, you have to weigh these things. And keep in mind, when I was traded, Hart kind of played a guessing game because he didn't want to say outright, okay, we traded you. So he had me guess where I was going. And he said, oh, I, I'm traded you to one of your former teams. And I, and I actually didn't want it to be Philadelphia because I turned down a better offer from the Phillies in free agency going into that season. <laughs> so that would have made no sense. I would have had worse contract uh, to go back to the team. And I never thought that was, I would be even in that situation. So he let me off the hook and said, no, we traded you to the Cubs. And, you know, there was, you know, oh, wow, I got a pack and all these things. Well, I remember going to the locker room like the next day to kind of get my stuff. It was all in a box. It was all packed up. Like they were just like, you're, you are you have evaporated from Texas. Like you really? no longer exist. Yeah, it was already packed. Um, I, you know, the goodbyes were kind of awkward. And, you know, I know that there's concern about the disgruntled employee handbook and things like that. But they were they made sure that I had very little interaction, just got my stuff. And I remember thinking I, I had this thing called the Good Grades Club. It was a where student, you know, student fans would send their report, copies of the report card to me, and they would get, you know, if they had straight A's or whatever. It was really cool. And and uh, I remember like, what am I going to do with the Good Grades Club? It was such a cool thing, but uh, I barely had time to even deal with it. I had to figure out packing, you know, meet the team on the road and get my car shipped and close out my apartment, and then I was poof gone. But it was just like that. Uh, so it was pretty disconcerting, even though like you could see, okay, at least we have a better chance of making the postseason in Chicago, but it was just kind of hard to see it in the moment. Yeah. Now, I, I think that was a little before uh, MLB trade rumors existed, but not before rumors existed. So right. how, how closely were you following those rumors or not? I remember Adam Dunn told me one year before the deadline that he just, like, he, he was so sure he was going to get traded that he literally packed two suitcases, kept them by the door and figured, well, if I get traded, I'll be ready. Don't have to sweat this. <laughs> then he yeah. didn't. What about you? Yeah. Well, your agent is such a big part of that. And you hear the rumors and you speculate. And I kind of knew that I was going to be possibility a possibility in Texas because we were bad and I was making money you know, as a free agent. And they're sort of like, well, the next generation is coming. We want to give the young guys like Lance Nix, these guys that were coming up. So I knew I was, you know, definitely in in the crosshairs of getting traded. So I, you know, I waited, but I still didn't know how to prepare. Like 
apartments. I didn't really have a clue. Now, fortunately, you know, I have a, my own family. I don't have kids in school or anything like that. So I, I figured, all right, I'll just be ready. But it's still kind of a dash of cold water because especially when you're playing well, you're like, yeah, that's nice to go to a postseason situation. But because I wasn't really sure and I was coming back from an injury, I was really worried about my future as an athlete, as a player. And by the way, 2004, I got some, you know, it was like a non-roster invite the next year. So it wasn't like I, I was way off base here. Okay. <laughs> I, I went into my next season as, you know, had to fight my way to make a team. And even then I was just like a fourth outfielder. So, uh, but, you know, it worked out well, but it was, it was a little dicey at the moment. Yeah. I mean, people do forget human beings are on the other side of every rumor, everyone. Yeah. And, uh, they have lives, they have families, they have futures, they have presence, they have teammates, and all that goes into it. I try to always remind myself of that this time of year, Doug. I don't like to just throw much stuff out there unless I'm really sure that this has a chance of happening. For that, That's just one of the reasons. Yeah, and Jay, and sometimes I remember it was Kevin Euclid. You know, I remember that was one of the early stories of when social media had really blown up of him like finding out like information about his trade in in the in the actual social world <clears throat> the social media world so that's the other side of it you know many times the media side is more informed or more open or or maybe there are you know leaks or whatever so and and you don't you know it doesn't happen until it's happening but you hear about it you're like you know like Adam Fraser getting traded you're like okay he's you know rumor it, it's more than a rumor now and yeah, you're right. You know, people are paying close attention to that in your family, and and it, it's it's disruption, even if it is only for two three months. So, um, but you know, I, I was traded before that in December of '97, and that was in the off season. So I, I I had the familiar feeling, but that that treasure trash feeling that you have, that dichotomous feeling is, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, and and. Especially when you're an '80s fan and and people hardly ever moved around, <laughs> you know Mike Schmidt, <laughs> Gary Maddock, but uh, it is it's part of it. It's part of the game now. All right, Doug. Let's welcome in a man who's in the middle of his favorite week of the baseball season. He <laughs> writes for the Athletic. He hosts radio shows for Sirius XM. He does TV for CBS Sports Network. He might actually have more jobs than Doug Glanville. <laughs> it's, our, it's our friend Jim Bowden. Jim, welcome to Starkville. Ah, uh, Jason, Doug, great to be with you guys at Starkville. And what a fun week we're going to have between now and Friday's 4 p.m. Eastern trade deadline. We're going to see some wheeling and dealing and some big names being moved. And I am pumped for it. <laughs> I know you are. You know, Jim, I mentioned this to Doug earlier. I, I honestly don't think I know anybody who loves the trading deadline more than you. I'll tell a little story here. I, I remember once, a few years back, we were up in Bristol, Connecticut. We were doing baseball tonight. It was the night before the deadline. Uh, then we see each other back at the hotel, and I said something like, I, I'm, I'm wiped. I'm going to go to bed because tomorrow's going to be wild. And if I remember right, you said, you can't go to bed on the <laughs> night before the deadline. <laughs> like People might hear that and think, he's kidding. No, you meant that, right? <laughs> Yeah, this is a week you don't sleep. I mean, it's too much fun with all the trade talks going on. And, you know, this is the one week of the year where the GM is more important than the future Hall of Famer, the all-star player, the silver slugger, the Cy Young Award winner. 
this is when a GM can make a difference in a pennant race. And, you know, I was a GM for 16 years and I know what this time means. I mean, all you have to do is look at David Stearns when he picked up Willie Adamas. What happened in Milwaukee? They flew to first place. Huge difference maker. How about the trade that was made last week? Nelson Cruz heading to Tampa. They've lost one game since then, right? Five and one <laughs> since then. I mean, you make a big trade, it changes the clubhouse. It gives confidence to everyone. And if you're in a pennant race, it's a difference maker. And on the other side, if you're building for the future, here's a chance to do that. Trading a veteran player only going to control for a year or two for some guys that are going to help you over a five, six-year period. So whether you're making trades to win or making trades to rebuild, this is the one time where you have leverage, you have a sense of urgency. And this year, more than ever, because if you don't make a trade by Friday at 4 o'clock Eastern, you can't trade again to November. And if you're a GM, that's a long time before you can make your team better. So you better step up this week. Yeah. You know, I had a GM one time described it to me as an opportunity. He said, you only have so many opportunities to do this stuff. July is one of them. So whether you're a buyer or a seller or you're actually none of the above, it's still an opportunity. Um, all right, Jim, when you were a GM, the week of the deadline, especially the last couple of days of the deadline, before the deadline, how much sleep do you think you got? Like, I'm going to set the over-under on the last day at zero. Yeah. I mean, I'd say I average two or three hours a day. I mean, yeah. let, let me take you back to my most fun deadline. And I say most fun because it was the one year I actually got a lot done. <laughs> Took a contending team to the league championship series before losing to Atlanta. But um, I was up until 4.30 in the morning Eastern time closing a deal and we were about eight days away from the deadline at that point but i was doing the deal directly with peter mcgowan who was at the time was the owner of the san francisco what, giants okay what year would this have been uh this is 1995 so we're eight days out i had negotiated with the gm bob quinn we couldn't get anything done the owner called me at, at midnight and we went back and forth back and forth and i needed starting pitching i knew i wasn't going to be able to win without it well we had a chance to get uh, Mark Portugal and Dave Burba, they wanted Deion Sanders. They had a gold glove center fielder and Darren Lewis. I could get back pitching defense, like the idea for me. I hated training Deion, but for the team, this would have been a big move. I was in first place at the time, but we couldn't get the deal done. And finally, I got on with Peter McGowan, and I knew I could taste how bad he wanted Deion. So we got to 2.30 <laughs> or 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, look, I'll put more guys besides Deion in the deal. I said, let's go to my farm system. And so I started offering him minor league prospects that we didn't like, but had good minor league statistics. And I would, <laughs> I would just start throwing one at Ricky Pickett, John Roper. I just kept throwing Scott Service. I kept throwing one name after another. And by 4 a.m. Eastern, uh, that bad boy deal was closed with, with Peter McGowan. Uh, and then let me stay on topic for a minute because I got to tell you, this, is my, this was my most fun as a GM. So now I'm getting greedy, right? Your GM just made a big deal. Now you want to make one more because you're like, I can win the World Series. Like, I get one more starter. And I had been working hard to get David Wells from the Tigers, wow. David Cohn from the Yankees, Whoa. or Jim Abbott from the Chicago White Sox. So I'm working really hard. And I get to the point where I'm going to offer my first-round pick from a year ago, C.J. Nikowski, at that time, a lot of people liked. I was grinding away at this thing. And all of a sudden, on the 31st, at about five in the afternoon, that, back then the deadline was at midnight, I started getting close. So I go down to Marge shot and I said, Marge, I got a chance to get one more start. And I'm telling you, I can get you the World Series if you let me do it. I said, let me break it down. I can get David Cohn at the time where he's making 5.9 million. 
or I can get David Wells making three million, or I can get J- Jim Abbott making just under two million. Now, let me tell you this: Cohn's the best pitcher of the group, but I know his contract will blow us so far out of budget you won't talk to me for a year. <laughs> Jim Abbott has one arm. We play in the National League. There is no DH, probably not the smartest play. Although if that's the best I can do, I'm willing to take a chance on that. Or the compromise deal is David Wells. And she looked at me and said, how much does Cohn make? And I said, over $5 million. She said, who's the best pitcher of the group? I said, David Cohn. She said, go get me Cohn. I said, excuse me? I was so excited. I sprinted down the hallway. I picked up the phone immediately. I called the New York Yankees and I was told that George Steinbrenner had already agreed to a deal with Toronto. Oh, so, I, oh. so I run back to her and I said, Kona's off the table. Can I go? Can I go after Wells? She said, absolutely, honey, go get it done. I went back. I made the deal on the 31st. And that was my favorite period of time. Eight days as a GM because I got three pitchers, Wells, Burba, Portugal, and a gold glove center fielder, and we ended up getting the NLCS. So that is what the trade deadline really meant to me, that one year out of 16. (laughs) Wow. You know, I know people think that Dion and C.J. Nitkowski are probably the biggest names, and you traded them away. But David, David Wells is the answer to a really important Reds trivia question. I use this all the time. Who's the last Reds pitcher to win a postseason game? David Wells. David Wells is the yeah. answer. That yeah. is right. And, and Jim Bowden traded for him. And the last time the Reds were in the NLCS, David Wells was on the mound. Davey That's Johnson was the manager. They haven't been back there since. Jim Bowden was a general manager. That's all I know. <laughs> so, and Jim, so, I mean, how do you deal with all the triangulation, right? I mean, because just like you mentioned, you're sprinting down the hall. Now you have all this technology where you probably could have like 12 GMs on Zoom. And figure, like, how much does that change in terms of how technology is used to kind of speed up all these lags where you might miss that window of opportunity? Oh, yeah, it's it's night and day, Doug. I mean, honestly, uh, technology has gone so far in making deals and the communication between GMs with text 24-7 I mean, as you two know, like this time of year, you got to in the media, you got to be careful when you text them because they're in the middle of deals and they don't want 16 media guys sitting there saying, are you close? Are you close? Like this is an intense period. It really is. But the technology in the rooms are phenomenal. Zoom, obviously, because of the pandemic has been big. You know, we used to fly our top scouts in for the final week of the trade deadline and have them in the room uh, with the medical people and the lawyers. Like we would have everybody in the room. Nowadays, you can put everybody up on Zoom. I mean, you can have scouts all over the country. You know, as a GM, I wanna look in the scout's eye. When the the scout tells me to make a trade and take a chance on this A-ball player I haven't seen, I don't just want the scouting report. I wanna look the scout in the eye. I wanna see the conviction that he has. And I want to be able to ask him questions and watch his body language when he gives me the answers back. So technology's made it a lot easier. Analytics are, have been so great. I mean, the amount of information we have on every player now, the swing mechanics, the pitching mechanics, uh, how you can improve a player. Uh, like if I trade for a guy who we think is underperforming, we can intellectually break down when we get him. These are the changes we're going to make. These are the results we think we can do with him if, if he will make the adjustments. I mean, it's just, it's come so far. It's, uh, I, w- I think the GMs in this era are, are going to have more fun than any other era because of it. You, you know, Jim, I've had GMs describe to me their war room when they go about trying to make these deals. It's, it's like you just described. Like you, you have these giant screens where you can put up 
anybody via Zoom, um, if a name comes up, all of his stats, his data, uh, the scouting stuff that you've accumulated on him can pop, be popped up on the screen. Immediately. At, at, right, yeah. like at the touch of a finger or just by mentioning him his, his name. And you've got a whole room filled with information on this guy that you might or might not trade or this guy you might or might not trade for. Yeah. It's incredible to it even is. imagine, isn't it? Yeah. And you, and you know, you got all the medicals. I mean, you've got history about his high school teachers or a confrontation <laughs> he had an eight ball six years ago. Uh, you just, you just type the name in and it's on the screen. And then of course you have all the magnetic boards uh, with all of the teams, all, all the other 29 teams. And then you've got all the names on trades you're working on. You've got the trade targets that you want on one list and a priority list. I mean, it's it's pretty intense. Uh, it's really in-depth and it's a really fun process. And, you know, when we're looking at 2021, you know, we look at the National League West right now. It's incredible to watch the competition between the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres. we got three of the best front offices in the game. you got three aggressive uh, baseball executives in Farhan Zaidi and Andrew Freeman um, and AJ Preller that are competing with each other. Like they're out there a lot of times fighting for the same player here. And so it, it's just really intriguing and really fun. And that's why this week is to me as a GM, it's the most exciting time of the year right here, right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let, let's, why don't we spend some time and look at this week? Um, why don't I throw some names out? And you tell me what you think will happen with these guys. Uh, Max Scherzer, what do you think, Jim? Well, if you had asked me this question a week ago, I would have told you with conviction he's going nowhere because that's the information that I was given. The weekend against the Orioles did not go well. Um, they know they can't sign him, at least until he gets to free agency. And I believe that they now are open-minded in moving him. And I think there's a possibility that he gets traded to the NL West. I do think it's now realistic, but if you had asked me a week ago, I would have said no. A lot can change. Um, I don't know what the medicals look like on Max Scherzer, but that obviously will have to be exchanged um, because this isn't the kind of deal where you're going to get two fringe mid-level prospects, right? Uh, it's not even going to be the, the Nelson Cruz return. If Max Scherzer gets traded, you're going to give up at least one prospect that's going to hurt. Uh, and when I say hurt, I mean a top three prospect um, and and a, and a second player. So, you know, if he is traded, someone's going to pay a price. But I, I got to tell you, the one thing about Max compared to everybody else we're going to talk about on this show, Max is a difference maker come October. He can win you the big game. He'll step he out and he'll do it for you. And there's nobody else. There's no other pitcher in this market that's going to get moved that is going to have that type of impact that Max could. So, I got to tell you, a team that is loaded farm system, and I include the Dodgers, I include the Padres in that. I think if I'm in their shoes, I'd pay the price, even though it's a rental to get Mighty Max. I think he's that big of a difference in an October playoff game. Now, I think I I, I think that will happen. I think you know the biggest the biggest question is, will he approve a trade? I think if it's to the right place, yeah, you know, where he well, knows he's got a chance to win again, he hey, no, nobody lives for October like Max Scherzer. Well, I agree with you completely because Max also knows if he wants to go back to Washington, he can always go back in November, right? Correct. So he wants to win another World Series. Now, remember this. Don't ever forget the visual of Scott Boris walking Manny Ramirez into Dodger Stadium. 
Don't ever forget how Scott made sure the media was there to pull that O.J. Simpson, the white Bronco moment where he and Manny were walking up that hill at Dodger Stadium. And don't think Scott doesn't want to do it again with Max Scherzer. And if he can find a way to get Max to come to his home city, I know he lives in Orange County, but Dodger Stadium counts. He may not be there as much as Angel Stadium, but he still goes quite a bit. He still has those season tickets. If he can get Max to the Dodgers, I think he does. And if you're the Dodgers and you're looking at this thing, sure, you've got Bueller and Urias, but you're not going to get Bauer back. That's not going to happen, at least this year. No matter what happens, you're not going to see him again. Um, Clayton Kershaw's form is nothing to sneeze at at this point. I don't think you can count on David Price. I love Tony Gonsolin, but a Max Scherzer on that team gives them the best chance to repeat as world champions. I see that match. And the one thing the Dodgers have, they've got two elite catching prospects in the minor leagues. I wrote about this in my article in The Athletic this week. They can certainly trade or include one of them in a deal for Max, as painful as it is, because I love Ruiz and I love Cartaya, but if, if, if they can get one of them, there's your long-term answer, a catcher in Washington. Okay, how about another Scott Boris client, Chris Bryant? What do you see for Chris Bryant this week? I think he gets moved. Jed Hoyer's asking price has been at a range where – He's never gotten close to anything. For example, when the Nationals were buying, you know, he really wanted Cavalli or Rutledge. And yeah. the Nationals don't want to trade either one of those starters. Um, the Mets have at least kicked the tires in the past on Bryant. But again, not even close to what the return is. I mean, I, you know, they want uh, Pete Crow Armstrong as an example in that package. Um, and Bryant's just not going to, as a rental, just isn't going to bring that kind of return for two months. The team getting him knows they're not going to re-sign him. But I do think Bryant is going to go. He should go. They're going nowhere. And I don't think he's going to be re-signed in Chicago. So I would predict traded for him. Yeah. And does Craig Kimbrell get traded this week? I would definitely. say yes. He definitely has goes. to. Yeah. Has to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any doubt he definitely goes. Uh, you got so many teams in on him, right? I mean, you got Houston, you got Oakland, you've got Boston, you've got all three of the West Division teams. Um, you know, he's got a chance to really impact um, the rest of the year in October. I mean, he's he's back to being the Hall of Fame Kimbrel that we all know and love. So he, yeah, he's going to go. I would say Kimball and Bryant of the four guys are the most likely to go. Rizzo and Baez the most likely to stay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Doug, you have well, a guy what, you want to ask? Yeah. About? Well, what do you do with the guys that stay? Does it tend to work in tandem that you're saying, okay, Bryant walks out the door. How aggressive are you in either trying to sign guys like Baez or whoever's kind of left behind? Or is that something you just sort of push to the offseason? Well, I think at this point, because you haven't signed him, you've decided how far you're going to go. And you're not going any further. You would have signed the player, right? And you're not going to go to $300 million for Javier Baez like the other shortstops got, like Lindor got. Um, and uh, Tatis guy, you're just not going to go in that range. So you're going to have to wait. And with Baez and same thing with Rizzo. I mean, Rizzo's having a good year, not a great year. He's another year older. You know, there's a certain value you put on it. And if you're the player's agent, you know, why do you sign now without letting all all 30 teams bid on your player? I mean, you've gone this far to free agency. It's hard to do a deal with those guys. So be patient. Have your best offer on the table and see what the free agent market, you know, what it's going to show. Because you don't know what kind of offer buyer is going to get. He's going to go in a market where there's Correa and there's Seager and there's Simeon. So there's going to there's going to be a lot of shortstops on the market and they're all not going to get paid 
and they're all going to expect to get paid what Lindor got, and it's just not going to happen in most of the cases. Well, yeah, one I, shortstop, one shortstop in that mix is Trevor's story. Uh, what do you see his story is going to be? Ah, you know what, Doug? This is fascinating to me um, because it reminds me of 2006 when I was GM of the Nationals and I had Alfonso Soriano, who like Story was going to be a free agent. And like Story, I wasn't going to go to the postseason that year. And in 2005, he had 40 homers and 40 steals. So, you know, he was a well sought after player. And I got to the deadline expecting to get serious offers. And the way we viewed it at that point, and I'll never forget, I was in a hotel room in San Francisco with uh, my baseball staff and my owner as we work through this trade, um, is the floor had to be better than what the draft pick compensation would have been. That's the floor. Uh, you got to beat that. And if you beat that, we're going to have a deal. I'm going to move the player. I mean, I, I had talked to Alfonso and, you know, we tried to sign him. We couldn't sign him. So we were going to trade him. And we went through the process and Seattle came the closest but we walked away. And I remember baseball the night, Carl Ravitch ripping me to shreds. <laughs> Up one day, I think Jason Stark ripped me I, as well at that I, time. I, not I remember that well. Yes. Um, but but here's the thing, you know, Jordan Zimmerman was part of that compensation. He was one of the draft picks and he ended up being a good pitcher for a long time. And he was a far better player than anyone we got offered for him. So my point was holding him was actually in retrospect, the great, the, the greatest and best play we could have made. Now, I wonder with, with Bill Schmidt, the interim GM, I wonder if he would be willing to pull the trigger on a borderline deal or does he have to really win a deal? Because remember this, when the season's over, one of his two titles is going to get dropped, either the interim or the GM. <laughs> right. And this week is going to depend which one gets dropped. So <laughs> he's on the clock. But, you know, I look at it and I say, how many teams are in on them? Like, I'd love to see Oakland in on them, but they say they're not, right? So when I look at the trade market, who's in on Trevor Story? And who's going to pay the prospects? I mean, I thought perhaps the Yankees might have. They're not now, not, not the way they're playing. That wouldn't make any sense for a yeah. rental. So I don't know. I don't think there's as much demand as people think. Does St. Louis want to do it for two months? Do they want to give up prospects for two months or just wait to free agency and sign them? So I think that's where he's difficult. I, I'm not going to be surprised if he ends up not getting dealt. Yeah, and the, you know, the amazing thing is, uh, I would say the chances of him signing there after this season as a free agent are zero. Yeah. Zero. You, you think his chances are better than I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, So we're basically in agreement. He's not going to be there next year. So, you know, the, 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 the draft compensation package now is not what it was when you're trying to deal Soriano. So, like, to me, what Bill Schmidt is saying, he's saying because the situation is what you just described, Jim. He doesn't really have much. So he's trying to make it seem like, I need to be tough here. I'm not going to cave. But the reality is he doesn't have anything on this player or very little. Yeah, it, no doubt. So that's going to be one to watch for sure to see if someone comes out of nowhere and surprises us. You know, I'd love to see him end up in Milwaukee playing third base or having Adama's move to third and let story play short. I'd love to see Milwaukee get one more bat here because boy, this is a team that can run the table in October with those three number one starters in that back end of that bullpen. They need another bat. I'd love to see story there. I don't know if they'd give up that outfielder Mitchell as part of a package, but 
that would be a really good spot for him, I think. Great spot. Uh, all right, let me ask you one more player. Uh, it's another guy that, that the price tag has been so high for a long time. Last winter, last trade deadline, Joey Gallo. Do you think Joey Gallo gets moved? I am being told that Texas has a ridiculously overpaid offer on the table for Joey Gallo. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that Joey's going to accept it because Byron Buxton, for some reason, has turned down between 70 and 80 million on a player that over seven years has played one season, one full season in seven years. And he's got 80 million on the table with incentives, by the way. And he said no to that. Um, so I never know how these things are going to work. I do believe if he is not extended uh, by Friday's deadline, I think he's going to be moved. And he's a valuable guy because he plays first, third, left, right. You can even put him in center. He's won a gold glove. He's got power. You know, you don't want to hit him three, four, five. You want to hit him six or seven and take the three-run homers. But Joey Gallo is a left-handed bat and – you know, even a team like the Yankees, who may need to think about next year as much as this year, you put him in left field and get another left-hand hitting uh, guy in that lineup and a gold glove defender in left, it would make a lot of sense. So I think there's a lot of fits for him. But again, I know one thing. The Rangers don't want to trade him. They want to sign him. They're getting a lot of local heat to sign him. So we'll have to wait and watch that. But my gut says he's going to sign and stay in Texas. You know, we don't spend enough time talking about what a good player this guy is. I, like he's, he could lead the league in walks and strikeouts, and that's all we talk about, right? I, I did this on MLB Network the other day. Here are the only three outfielders in the game right now who've had a 40-homer season and a gold-glove season. There's Belly and Yelly, so Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, and the third is Joey Gallo. That's the whole list. Yeah. Never talk about how multi-talented this guy is. Impressive, that's, no doubt. Yeah, well, I'm also curious about how do you communicate to the players during this time? What What is that communication like, especially you know, I was traded from Texas, actually, to Chicago in 2003. What's the communication, you know, along the way? And then when you actually make a move involving that player, how do you kind of sort of communicate at that point? Well, you want to talk about early in my career or late in my career? <laughs> I'd be curious about that evolution, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So early in my career, I'll let you, I don't tell you a word until I trade you. And then they bring you in, you cry. Deion Sanders cried in my office. He didn't want to go anywhere. He was disappointed. Uh, yeah, the reaction, not good. No heads up whatsoever. Uh, the deals I actually make, I never wanted leaked um, until the deal was made. Then I bring him in and told him. And that is the worst possible way you can do business. Um, so you learn that as, as you go through it. Remember, I was the youngest GM in baseball history at the time. So I had a lot of lessons I had to learn and I didn't have a lot of teachers. So a lot of this was uh, trial and error. Um, not a lot of that, a lot of failure to figure it out. Um, so as I evolved over the years and we got close to the deadline, you know, I would go to the player and I would say, I just want to give you the heads up um, for financial reasons or for long-term baseball reasons or whatever. And I'm talking about the veteran players. I would give them the respect of saying, I want you to know I'm working on a deal. I'm not close or imminent, but in all likelihood, I think we're going to probably deal you. And I want you to know that up front. I don't want you to hear it from anyone else. And I'll keep you posted during the process. And if we get close, I'll give you the heads up ahead of time. Because uh, I just didn't want them to find out um, after the fact if I could prevent it. So my whole my whole thing in, in today in 2021 baseball is just be transparent and communicate and be honest. And if you can do those three things, 
players will forgive or players will accept. One of the two will happen if you can do that. Always be honest. Always be transparent. Always tell the truth. Never lie. You wouldn't go to the clubhouse and help the guy pack, would you, like no. John Hart did with Glanville? <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that would not be part of the process. No. <laughs> well, John, John Hart actually had me guess what team he traded me to. Okay. Uh, and he told me it was one of my former teams. So I, I, I was like, well, don't say Philly because I turned out a better deal to go to Texas. <laughs> and then he says, no, it was Chicago. But I went to the locker room the next morning and they had packed my whole locker. And in fact, I had to pay for my jerseys. I had to buy my jerseys back. They had sent them to some distributor. So that was a little shocking. I'd never been traded in midseason before that. I traded, I got traded in the offseason. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, John was, you know, he was cool. He, he explained it. He's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. We're terrible. <laughs> you know, you're actually the hottest hitter on our team, but you know, this is where we're at. So we're looking to the future. So, uh, so I think that actually went fairly well, but it was, it was tough <laughs> to be treasure and then go to a place where I wasn't going to play as much, even though the Cubs were in the postseason run. So that's the other thing. I'm, I'm thinking, my goodness, if I don't play or I'm a fourth outfielder, how do I look in free agency? Because there's no guarantee we're going to get past, you know, second place. So that was a, that was a tough one. Well, let me follow that up and ask you guys this question, because I found the Padres trade yesterday kind of fascinating. So they pick up Adam Frazier, who's led Major League Baseball in hits most of the year, has played second base most of the year well, and he goes to a team that says, I, I know you're an all-star, and I know you were leading the league in hits, but you're going to be a super utility player. And you're going <laughs> right. to play second, and you're going to play right, and you're going to play left. And Jake Cronenworth, don't you worry. You're going to be at second. Hosmer, don't you worry. You're going to be at first base. Fam, Myers, I lead the league right. in hits. I'm an all-star, and, and I just got traded. And, and, and So I wanted to ask you guys. Now, I know the rumors are now coming up. They're trying to shop Hosmer, and we see all this follow-through, but that can be disruptive on a team. You can yeah. get a great – you can trade for a, a good player and make a good trade like they did. This is a really good trade for San Diego. But it also, you have some risk of disrupting what you have, right. and you have a chance to disrupt what the player's been doing, right? Yeah, like AJ did it last year, and it worked. He traded his catcher. He traded Austin Hedges at the deadline. Now, he brought in like 15 other players, so maybe they didn't even notice for a few days. But, but I really worry about that disrupting the vibe of a really good team. Doug, you could speak yeah. to that. Well, one thing that when I first saw that, my thought was, are they trying to keep him? Did they get Frazier to keep him from someone else and say, let's just get all the talent we can and we'll just figure it out? Um, that's the first thing that came to mind. You know, the rumors, I mean, I even heard rumors that when I was traded that I was possibly going to St. Louis and and they, the, the Cubs were like, all right, well, let's like kind of interject. Uh, you know, it's like the Jose Canseco, wasn't it to Boston or New York? And he just kind of sat the bench for a minute. <laughs> right, New York, right. So so how much is, is that a factor, Jim, of like, I'm actually keeping this guy from somewhere else? You know, I haven't seen that happen recently. Uh, I think when I was first a GM back in the 90s, that was a part of the process that if we had a team ahead of us that was trying to get a player and we could swoop in and get the player and block him from going there, that was a thing. But this generation of GMs, that's really, really not a thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So it really not a, not a lot of blocking here. So I don't think they were really worried about uh, the Giants or the Dodgers in this case, because I'm told they weren't even in it on Frazier. Uh, Jim, let me ask you about uh, some of these buyers. I mean, you touched on the Rays earlier. The Rays are not done. Like, they've been the team this year, right? They traded away 
Adamis. They traded away Rich Hill, but they made the biggest acquisition, Nelson Cruz, and they're not done. What do you see ahead for the Rays in the next few days? Well, they'd like to improve with a starting pitcher that can give innings, give length. Um, that's that's one thing they would like to do if they could. They're not completely optimistic that Tyler Glass now is going to be able to come back in August. They don't really know if he's going to be able to come back or not, and that's a right. big difference maker. But the problem they have, as you know, is there really isn't a lot of starting pitching available. I mean, you know, after Scherzer, if he's available, you've got Kyle Gibson of Texas and you know, some GMs believe what he's done. Others don't. You've got John Gray of Colorado, but, you know, outside of Coors, you would think he would get better, but you don't know. And don't forget the Rays farm system is still loaded with arms that are really, to be honest, a lot better than what they can trade for. So, you know, I, I think they'll be on the market, but I, I'm not sure they're going to do anything to the level of what they've already done with Cruz. I can see them making a trade for a starter if they can. Um, that I can see, but they're pretty happy with the team that they have. Okay, let me ask you about another team in the AL East. This is a team I think we need to watch, the Blue Jays. They feel like a team trying to do something big. What do you think? Yeah, Jason, I'm with you, and I have said, and I said this at the All-Star game, I I think they're getting to the playoffs. I think they're going to get there. We may may end up with three AL East teams. I know Oakland doesn't want to hear that. And I apologize to them. And I know Yankee fans don't want to hear that. Um, But the way this race is right now, I really believe in this Toronto Blue Jay team. If Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins can add to this pitching staff and they are on the clock for me. And I know that Mark doesn't like to trade prospects. I know how he succeeded in Cleveland. And I know why Alex Anthopoulos departed after being criticized on the Troy Tulowitzki deal. He's got enough depth and he's got enough young players at the major league level. He can trade top prospects if he wants to get this deal done and get to October. So they're on the clock for me. And I think you're going to see some good prospects being dealt. And I think they should be. Right. Hey, another thing to remember. Uh, if one of the easiest schedules in baseball the rest of the way, and they're a few days away from returning to Toronto where it's going to be wild. That's, that's a team to watch on every level. Doug, who intrigues you? Well, I'm kind of fascinated by team kind of in cruise control a little bit, but the Houston Astros, I mean, you mentioned Kimbrel, but it's like, what happened? Like, you know, is Dusty is Dusty Baker such an X factor when you talk about just being able to extend the capabilities of a team? I mean, they have the talent clearly, but there's something else seems to be going on in Houston, you know, in a good way. Yeah, in a, in a great way. I mean, first I'll start with this. I think they have the best lineup in the American League against against best pitching. They've got a lineup that wins in October. They're they're a scary team because those guys all hit good pitching. You can get, have your guy with the best slider or the highest velocity fastballs. This team can hit you. And the, and the lineup is deep from top to bottom. It really is. Dusty Baker doesn't get enough credit for developing young pitchers the last two years in Houston. He's done an incredible job. And I, look, he had so much criticism in his career as a manager for not believing in young players. That's all he's done in Houston. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've watched Louis Garcia. You've watched Christian Javier. You've, I mean, up, up and down. Um, they have a really good clubhouse. They have a really good vibe. This is a really good team. I mean, you know, when you talk about the elite teams in the American League, I mean, you know, Boston, Tampa Bay, the White Sox, Astros. I mean, Houston has as good a chance of any of winning a World Series. 
Um, I'd love to see them go get Scherzer like they got Verlander under the previous GM, Jeff Luno. I think that would be a difference maker. A Kimber would be a difference maker, but even a deal for uh, Taylor Rogers in Minnesota or Richard Rodriguez of Pittsburgh uh, to set up Presley would be huge for them. They're going to win that division if they do nothing. That's how I feel. I like them better than Oakland. I have all year. I predicted it in March. I'm going to stay with it. I really love this team. They need the starting pitching to stay healthy. And I think they need their GM to go help get a, a big name, a big name pitcher, whether it be a starter or a reliever uh, between now and the deadline. But Dusty Baker, if he can get this team to the World Series, he's going to be a Hall of Fame manager. Yeah. And and James Click, their general manager, has no track record this time of year. So can't wait to see what he does. All those years in Tampa Bay, I'm going to guess he was taking notes. Uh, all right. One more uh, seller, Jim, that we haven't talked about somehow or other, the Twins. How much is left that the Twins are going to do? Well, the Twins, to me, are actually the headliner ahead of the Cubs and the Rockies. And you're going to say, why, why, how can you do that? <laughs> the Cubs have those four big names. Because, as I said, I get the feeling maybe only two get traded. But talking to Derek Falvey, uh, the, the head of baseball operations, the other day for the Twins, he is everywhere. And when I say everywhere, let's talk about – for the players that he might be trading, maybe even five. So start with pitching. Jose Barrios, if he's dealt, is going to be the most coveted starting pitcher there, more so than Scherzer because he's controllable through next year and he's healthy. And this guy is 27 years old and he is in his prime. And I can argue that he's having the best year of his career. And I would overpay for him because you control him. Michael Pineda is a solid middle rotation starter, fourth starter that can give you innings. Taylor Rogers over the last seven years has been one of the most consistent relievers, left-handed relievers in the game. He's got a three ERA over seven years, having another great year. So everybody needs pitching. They got three of them. Josh Donaldson. Okay. I know there is a health risk. You don't think he puts the Mets over the top if he's healthy. I mean, you don't think he helps put Milwaukee over the top if he's healthy. We keep talking about Brian here and Brian there. I mean, if the if the Nationals were to buy, you don't think Donaldson helps them? I know there's the contract issue, and Minnesota has to pay some money. But if JD's healthy, JD is a difference maker. And Byron Buxton turned down that kind of money. First of all, I would never have offered him that as much as I think he might be Eric Davis. When you play seven years and you give me one, you give me one year out of seven where you actually can go to the post. I'm not paying. I'm not guaranteeing you that kind of money. Sorry about that. No chance. So I can see Buxton being traded. Um, so I think that's a, a lot of talent. We just went through five Minnesota names. They've wow. already dealt Cruz. They might be able to retool, not rebuild. They might be able to retool this team in a dramatic fashion over the next few days. Yeah, and what's interesting is, like, they look at their team and they think they can still win next year, even trading away the guys that you just mentioned. It just tells you how much talent they have and how things just kind of – Went wrong this year. You know, that old Springsteen line, uh, I took a wrong turn and I just kept going. Like, that's the, that was their season. Yeah. But that's a really intriguing team, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad we brought them up. Um, Jim, you know, I, I, I thought it would be fun to just kind of tell s some stories of, like, wild nights at the deadline, <laughs> stuff that's happened. And, I, like, I know just trying to cover it, like, you're always trying to sort through – information <laughs> and misinformation and like here's like here's a classic story i've told this many times but uh deadline week this is getting to be a while ago now maybe 
eight or nine years ago. But like, you know, you, you, you work the phones, the email, like all the stuff all day long. Now it's seven o'clock. The games are starting. So I go down, I leave my office. I go downstairs. I'm sitting on my sofa, just watching games. And my daughter, Hallie, uh, one of your favorites, Jim, plops down next to me. And so we're watching. And now, like, the, you know, it's getting to be like 10 o'clock and the games are starting to end. And I get a call from a guy's really good source of mine. And he lays out this scenario of this three-team deal that he says, all right, these two teams have a match. They just need to get a third team involved so this can happen. And so he said, see what you can find out. Let me know. Because they were one of the teams that had been called. So, I, you know, I get off the phone and my daughter says to me, Dad, why do people tell you stuff? <laughs> right? And like, the answer is, I said, Hallie, here's the way this works. I've spent my whole life talking to these people for hours and hours and hours and building relationships. And so we have such a strong bond of trust that when this guy calls me and he says, this is happening, I trust him that it's going to be right. And he trusts me that I'm going to use the information right. And I'm not just going to throw some stupid thing out there. I'm going to check it out. Maybe I'll learn something that helps him. But this is how it works. Like there's this bond of trust, these relationships that you build. And so anyway, like I'll try to make this as short as possible. I contacted the team that he said was orchestrating this thing. And the GM got back to me and he said, no, this is completely false. And I said, Right, the guy who told me was very clear. This makes total sense. I've kind of got some wind of this elsewhere. He said, "Well, you check it out, and you you tell me what you find." Okay, so now, oh my goodness! All right, so like it's late. It's now we're like talking about midnight, and uh, so I start shooting at my texts. I fall asleep with the phone right next to me, and I wake up, um, and I have a text that pretty much lays out that this thing is happening. So I email this GM again, fall back to sleep. Sorry, Jim. Wake up the next morning and there's an email from the same guy who told me this is completely false who says, okay, you've got it mostly right. So this thing winds up happening. This deal happened. I'm not going to give the details, but like this is what you sort through in our line of work at the deadline, trying to check things out, trying to be responsible, guys trying to misdirect you, push in a different, different direction. And if you're thorough enough, you learn stuff. So, Jim, you've been on both sides of it. You've been on, on the media side, chasing this stuff. You've been on the GM side, people like me bugging you. Do you have a story like that? Well, I mean, I think more philosophical, and I want to start with the media side because, you know, I had relationships with most of the GMs when I got on this side. There's There's been some some change, of course. But it's it took me four or five years on the media side to get trust on the media side. Um, they had to, it, it took a long time, longer than I thought it would, for them to realize if you give me something and you tell me it's off the record, no one's going to see it. And at this side, it's hard when, when you get told of a big trade and you were told you can't do it, and all of a sudden you see Ken Rosenthal break the story or Jeff Bassett break the story. It's like well, I had an hour ago, but I was told not to use, and I didn't. But I realized that that part of the business is really unimportant. What's important is the relationship and the trust. And so I communicate with all 30 GMs on a regular basis. I have all 30 communicate with me immediately back because now they know whatever conversation they have. If they tell me it's off the record, I can't use it. I will never use it, period. No exceptions. 
That's this side of things. Now let me get you back to the other side of things when I was a GM. Um, I wasn't always honest and upfront with the media on what was happening, especially when I was young, early in my career, because I just wanted to make deals and win deals. And there were a lot of times where I needed to leak information, which would have improved my chances of making a deal. And I want to take you back to one specific deal that I remember with the Baltimore Orioles uh, 1994. I needed another starting pitcher and I was chasing um, Juan Guzman, a right-handed pitcher. And I worked really hard to make this deal. And at the end of the deal, I ended up talking with Peter Angelos, going back and forth, back and forth. And I said, look, I can't get this money approved, but if we can get the money down with my only exposure a million dollars, I can get approval. And he said, well, let me look, if you if you put in this prospect, I will consider doing that. So that meant to me it's going to happen. So I went down to John Allen, who was the president and CEO. I said, John, I got this deal and I got it down within the financial parameters that you wanted. I've got to put in this left handed relief pitcher to make it work. Um, and I want your approval. He said, nope, not going to do it. I said, but you told me if I got it down to this and I'm recommending it, I got a chance to get it. I, don't, I can't do it. So I went back to my office. Now, you got to understand, I got a room of at that time, probably 30 scouts and development people sitting sitting in the war room at the old Crosley room. You know how disappointed they are when we've worked that hard to do a deal and we got a deal. And, and now we got Knicks, not from the other team, but from the house. So I, I said, I got an idea. So I called Doc Rogers, the late Doc Rogers, who was my assistant GM at the time. And I brought in my office. I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go upstairs and I want you to call Peter Gammons, VSPN. And I want you to tell him what just happened. You tell him that John Allen, uh, you know, has nixed the deal, but they would, a deal was in place. He said, okay. Wow. So he went upstairs, called Peter Gammons at the bottom of ESPN. John <laughs> Allen nixes his deal. John <laughs> Allen walks into my door. He opens the door, slams the door, and he said, did you just call Peter Gammons? I said, no, I did not call Peter Gammons. Let me see your phone. Showed him my phone. I'm getting the phone records. I said, go get the phone records. I did not call Peter Gammons. Oh. He, didn't, he didn't ask me if Doc did or if I had someone <laughs> else do it. So, you know, I'm not lying, right? <laughs> About 10 minutes later, Carl Lindner, the owner, calls me up and he says, is that, is that true? What I'm reading on ESPN, that you have a deal? And, and John Nixon, I, I said, yes, sir. And I don't understand why. He said, you make the deal. We're going to do it. And, that, and the deal got done. Wow. Amazing. So the media was used. <laughs> they had the truth, but it helped me make a deal. Yeah. Like, Doug, I don't know if you ever really thought much about this, but I think about it all the time when somebody tells me something this time of year. I always think, why does he want me to know this? Right. <laughs> you right. know, like some, there, there, there's a purpose always. <laughs> normally, I mean, sometimes the purpose is just we've been, you know, we have we have that kind of relationship. He knows yeah. he can tell me stuff, right? But sometimes it's because he wants that out there. Yeah. All right, why? You know, like there's this whole detective thing that goes on. It's really fascinating, man. Well, and sometimes you want it out because you're working on another deal. And they're thinking it's a bluff. And all of a sudden, Jason Stark reports they're close. All of a sudden, it's not a bluff. Um, yeah. you, you know, and I, I really got to make this other deal. I need, I need the fact that we're working on this deal out there. 
So let's get this deal out there so that other team knows we're not bluffing. So that ha- that happens a lot too, where the media has to be used for that. <laughs> not as much now as it used to, though, because I mean technology has changed all that. You know, the information so fast, so quick. Um, you can be transparent today at a level that you couldn't be, you know, back in the days when I was a GM. Doug, what do you think of all this, man? Well, no, I mean, I think that, you know, it's, it's just thinking on the player side. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, obviously a lot happens behind the scenes. And so I guess my question is, where does the agent come into play here? Like the representation where they're, of course, probably calling you at different times. My client wants out or what's happening. I heard this rumor. How do you manage that side of the equation? Yeah, I mean, most of the agents don't get that involved unless the player wants to be traded. Um, they really don't get involved until you've made the deal. And then you, then um, a lot of times, if you can't get a hold of the player, you'll call the agent to let the agent know in case he can get a hold of the player. And as soon as you call the agent, the story leaks directly to the media. <laughs> so let, let, me, let me tell you when you know that happens, okay? <laughs> you know that happens when you see on Twitter that player X has been traded to team Y, but they don't know the rest of the players yet. That's when you know it's from the agent. Because the agent is, says, my client's been traded. I just got told that, but they didn't tell me the rest of the players. And I can't tell you how many times the GM, I would call the agent and go, really? You had to leak it within 10 seconds? Really? You had to text that? Like, And he'd laugh, you know, and what am I going to do? I mean, I got to laugh too, but... Uh, that's how I always know when, it, when it's the agent leak is is when the reporter gets part of the deal because that's either from the player or from the agent. Yeah, it, it, Jim, let me ask you about one more thing that really fascinates me this time of year, and that is I, I know you had years where it, all right it wasn't clear whether you should buy or sell, and so like I've been thinking about this with uh, say the Braves, the Phillies, the Reds right now, the Angels. Like, how do you know? when you're the GM of one of those teams, whether to sell or buy? So my question back to you is, how do you not know? Like, really? Like, you're sitting there and you've played over half your games. You're in the last week of July and you don't know if you have a chance to get to October baseball or win a World Series? I mean, come on. You And I laugh literally this weekend. I had two GMs tell me, it's really going to depend on how we do this week if we buy or sell. <laughs> really? Five games over 162 game period, you're going to change your mind whether you're buying or selling. That is the most absurd, ridiculous thing. If you tried to do that at Microsoft or Apple, you'd be unemployed in about 30 seconds. Like that just makes no sense to me. Now, to your point, you know, there are teams where you have to you have to make your judgment if you think that team's going to win. I'm going to give you the Yankees for an example. I don't think they're getting to October baseball and they're only three and a half games out in the wild card. They're just three and a half games out, two in the loss column. I don't, I don't, I just can't see them. I, I just can't see them getting there, right? I, I think, I think Tampa Bay and Oakland and Toronto have better teams. That's just my judgment. But do I have a problem if Brian Cashman thinks he's going to win and wants to go for it? Go for it. I mean, I grew up and I'll never forget 1978, right? Uh, 10 game lead, 10 game lead for the Red Sox. I was at Fenway Park for game 163. Mike Torres on the mound, Bucky Dan Homers. <laughs> Into, the, into Fenway Park, and I have to take the MBTA home crying, okay? <laughs> I was there for that. So I know you can be 10 games back and not make it, okay? Been there, done it. I was uh, seven years old. Never forget it. But you got to know. I mean, I know Kenny Williams took grief many years ago when he sold when he was in a pennant race. But he looked at his team and said, it's not good enough. 
You know, I'm not going to win a championship. And though the part of the job of the GM isn't this year, your eye is on this year, next year, next five years, next 10 years for that matter. You're the guardian, not a Cleveland guardian, but you're the guardian of your franchise. And you have the responsibility to make it the best franchise over a period of time, not just one year. So if you get to the deadline, look, if I'm Atlanta or Philadelphia, I'm buying. You can beat the Mets. You're in the race. You know, Washington is a little bit borderline for me. I'm okay either way they go. I think that's a judgment they've got to make. Um, So I think you really have to look at it that way. I mean, Houston, Oakland are in it. If I'm Jerry DePoto, I'm not buying for this year. I'm keeping my eye on 22, 23, and 24. And if I get lucky and get in for a wild card, great. But I'm not going to go get Trevor Story for two months and give up prospects that are going to help me win long term. So I think you just have to know where you are. And by this time, I mean, come on, if you don't know on the 26th of July, if you think you have a chance of making it to the postseason, then honestly, you should resign and go do something else. You know, let me ask you about one more aspect of it, though, because like we we touched on the Cubs really early on in this podcast. Now, the Cubs are not a team on the fence. They're they're selling. They've got clarity. Their team told Jed Hoyer what they are. But there is this other aspect of it. The Marquee Sports Network is going to stay in the air, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Every day. Uh, the Wrigley Field, the gates are going to open. They will charge admission. They clearly are conscious of the fact that they can't tear it all down and just everybody must go because they need to give those people something to watch, guys they care about. How much does that come into play? Well, you used the wrong example out of 30 teams. You picked the one team where it doesn't matter. You know, I was talking to John Shambi, the great play-by-play announcer of the Cubs and ESPN. I was talking to him at the All-Star Game in Denver. And he said, you know, we had lost 11 in a row. And the place is packed. And we're down 9-3. to three, And we're in the eighth inning. And everybody is on their feet cheering. <laughs> and my experience going into Wrigley Field was that as well. I, I just, the fans are just, they're just always there, regardless of where they are in the standings. Uh, but that being said, I know your point. And it, here's my response. Because this is what fans want at the end of the day. They want to win. Whether they're winning now or next year or the year after, you got to win. So if you have to pay a price and you have to lose for a few years, like Washington did before they won a World Series, like the Cubs did before they won a World Series, like the Astros did before they won a World Series, the fans will understand as long as you eventually win, as long as you win. If the Tigers and Orioles that are rebuilding right now, if they win in three or four years, all this losing is going to be okay. If Adley Rutschman's the MVP of the league and Grayson Rodriguez wins the Cy Young Award, we'll be eating crab cakes, you and I, by Boop Powell's <laughs> restaurant in the outfield. That's how it works. So short term, it's painful. And it's painful listening to the crowd. The TV ratings go down. Uh, the luxury boxes aren't sold at the same level. The popcorn doesn't taste as good. It's too salty. But at the end of the day, every move you're making as a GM is to do one thing. Either win now or win soon or win a little bit later. But you better win. <laughs> On well, the Cubs case, they win once a century. So it's plenty of time. <laughs> so, Jim, Jim I, have, I have one question in that thought, one more question. And that is, uh, all those years about you mentioned winning, have you ever gotten emotionally attached to a player where you felt like you didn't make the best decision for that equation or that result of winning? Yeah, I mean – Actually, there is one, and it really stands out, Doug, and it's bizarre. But 
at the time, I think it was a really good trade and it really helped the team. And I'm going to circle back to that Deion Sanders trade. Um, Deion Sanders was the best teammate of any major league player that I was associated with in all my years in baseball, 16 as a GM and decades in a front office. He was the best teammate. He made everyone around him better. He was a motivator. He had work ethic. He had, he had drive. Um, and when I traded him to San Francisco, I'll never forget uh, watching a game in September and watching him at a walk-off and just saying to myself, you know what, if, if that guy ever played baseball full-time, we'd be talking about him like Ricky Henderson and Tim Raines if he could have just played baseball full-time. But I really wanted a chance to develop a player. I traded him because he looked like a punt returner in center field, and I needed starting pitching and a gold glove center field because I had a chance to win. I would have liked to have tried to develop Dion for two or three more years. So I ended up signing Dion back. And I was so upset that I had traded him because of the human being he was and what he meant in the clubhouse that he became the only player in my whole career I ever gave a no trade clause to. And I didn't give it for him. I gave it to me because I knew I was going to trade him again. <laughs> wow, amazing, amazing story. It's amazing. That's a great story. <laughs> uh, look, I know we got to let Jim go. Doug, yeah, he's got I, I just want to tell you, like, I, covering Jim Bowden as a GM at the deadline was so much fun. Even when you didn't return the calls, Jim, like even when you didn't return the messages, like I knew you were in on everything. I knew you never slept. I knew you were leaving these other GMs voicemails in the middle of the night. Like, wasn't, like, wasn't that the essence of how you went about deadline week? Yeah. You know, I, it's funny because yeah, early in my career, I was a used car salesman because, you know, I was trained under Sid Thrift, really, to be a yeah. GM. And that's, he was always selling, right? He's a, oh, I love he was a, and he, you know, he was a real estate agent, right? And he came back to GM at age 76 and his whole thing, he'd get on the phone with the GMs, he'd start selling them and, some of the GMs fell for it. he helped rebuild the Pirates, right? Traded for Bai Bonilla, draft, you know, uh, traded for Andy Van Slyke, if you remember back then, Doug Draven yeah. back then. And he was selling all these deals. And so when I started out, I was like a used car salesman. I'm trying to sell this. And hey, if you make this trade, I can do this for you. And wait a minute. You know, and then you get to the point where you realize, no, wait a minute. Everybody else in the room is just as smart as you are, if not smarter. Don't need to sell. We just need to put facts on the table and work and negotiate and build relationships and be aggressive and work that way. So, you know, I had to learn again, trial and error. I, I had to learn. I had to develop over the years. And I look at this generation of GMs and I have all the respect. I mean, this is a special group. I have such high regard for guys like Andrew Friedman. Uh, high regard for Derek Falvey, Farhan Zaidi. There's just so many of them. And then we've got, you know, the future Hall of Fame guys, the Billy Beans, the Brian Cashmans, the Dave Dombrowskis that are just really good and professional what they do. So I think the 30 GMs we have right now are by far the best this industry industry's ever had. Um, and, it, and, and, this industry, and, and this group is really fortunate too because of everything at their disposal to make trades. Like it's it's ridiculous what they're able to have in front of them on their computers and on their smartphones. It's, uh, it's amazing and it's fun. And because of it, it's, I actually think it's easier to make trades and it's easier to take chances of players because it's easier to identify how you can make the player you're getting better than what he is right now. And that's something we could have the concept back then, we could say, you know, we could do this or that, but we didn't have the scientific data to prove 
our hypothesis, which you can now. So it's going to be a fun week. Yep. Now we could talk to Jim for hours this time of year, but uh, Jim has 30 GMs he needs to text yes. in the next 15 minutes. Yes, so, let's let so Jim, <laughs> Jim, thanks so much for joining us, man. This was great. Jason, Doug, appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Jim Absolutely. Bowden is must read this time of year. And you know where you can read them? In The Athletic. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Okay, it's that time again. Time for listener trivia. Our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. Um, I know that last week, Doug Glanville wanted no parts of you, our listeners. <laughs> but now I'm back. So once again, we are literally involving you by picking our favorite listener trivia question of the week and then inviting you to join us on this very podcast live to stump us with your questions that's been done a few times. Uh, we'll tell you how you can do that in just a few minutes. Um, Doug, just want you to know you have dodged the trivia bullet long enough. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. wanted to preserve our streak. You know, I wanted to preserve our streak. And I, didn't feel, I felt selfish if I did it all on my own. So I'm just, you know, bringing the family back together. Didn't we get the last one wrong while I was out there in the parking lot in Colorado? I think we did. Well, a streak is if you did one out of two. That's, that's a streak, yes. <laughs> okay, the streak is if somebody asks a question about Doug Glanville, they somehow get that right. All right, on that note, let's bring in this week's trivia guest star. It's Bradley. Uh, um, at least that's what he calls himself on Twitter. So, Bradley, welcome to Starkville. I'm guessing you also have a last name, unless you're like Cher or Ichiro. Uh, you do have a last name, no, right? No, sir. Bradley McManus. Bradley oh. McManus. Yeah. Uh, all right, welcome. I can see from your Twitter feed that you're from Milwaukee. So outside of this minor Aaron Rodgers snafu, how's your Bucks <laughs> and Brewers fan thing going these days? It's looking pretty good. Got one champion down, two more to go. I think we got it. <laughs> How'd you celebrate the Bucks, man? Um, just watching with friends, a couple Miller High Lifes. Yeah, no, no revelry though, huh? <laughs> Not deer too district. Much. I went to work in the deer district. Did you go deer district <laughs> on us. Yeah, I got to one of the games. Hey, I got to nice. enjoy uh, game three. Good nice. going. That's that was the beginning of it all. The turnaround. Yes, sir. Anyway, that's enough Bucks talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if there's some Milwaukee connection to your trivia question, but Doug, 
Uh, we should keep that in mind, okay? Uh, Bradley, time for you to hit us with your question. All right. Can you name the three pitchers and one position player to make their MLB debut after the age of 40? All right. So we need four guys, three wow. of them pitchers, who de didn't debut in the major leagues until after they turned 40. Mm. I would say this question is basically impossible, Doug. Um, <laughs> I, I, one of them has to be Satchel Page, so we, at least we'll ha get that one right. Yes. Uh, I suspect that all or most of the other three probably have a similar kind of story. I don't know. The name Mini Minoso keeps popping into my head, so I guess I'll also throw that one out there. But I honestly have no idea on the ones who aren't Satchel Page. Uh, Doug, since you took uh, the week off from trivia last week, I think I should lean on you to rescue us. Go. Let's do that. Yes. Well, full disclosure, I, I don't know if this is an advantage, but my roommate in college was from Milwaukee. Uh, I think he went to Nicolet High School. Uh -huh. So does that give me, you know, maybe that gives us like a, a plus half of a point or something. Um, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out. Well, I, Satchel Page, I love that answer. I think, yeah, Negro Leagues feels like it's that story. I, you know, I'd be throwing wild guesses who are 40. Um, that's a tough one. Now, one thing, how old was the guy? You remember they made a movie about the Tampa Bay Rays pitcher, the lefty? Jim Morris. Yeah, but he was like, I, I talked to him before he made his debut. He was, was like he? 37. All oh, right. So that, that I was don't one guy. I think it's him. Yeah. Like I was also thinking, you know, there's some there's some games way back like a century ago where uh, crazy stuff would happen. Uh, the the like the fans would revolt or the team the players would revolt. They were mad at the owners and they would like, haul people out of the stands to to pitch and to play. Like you could have a scenario like that, but I have no idea. What about like so? Does it? <laughs> like you mentioned Minoso, but is it if you have like a big break and then you come back, is that a debut or is no. it not? Doesn't count. Like, right. What do you need? Just curious. Like well, you need ten years. You know? <laughs> a, we need dictionary here. No debut is Bradley. First. Clear clear this up for Doug. The debut would be first game in the big leagues. Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. Well, how old was like Eddie Goodell? How old was he when he? he oh. Was he like forty? I don't know. That's that could a great be a good guess. Yeah, let's throw him in there. All right, we thought Eddie Goodell. Right, that, that would give us two hitters, although hit hitter might not be the word for him. Sure. Well, we have Satchel Page, right? Yeah, we do. Page, Goodell. Uh, I mean, Minoso. It seems like Minoso played forever. I thought he, he started. I, I thought, yeah, I thought I mean, he started. He kept, he kept coming back. White Sox promotions. He was right. 50. He was 60. They kept throwing him, out, throwing him in there. The question is when he debuted. He's yeah. probably not correct. Yeah. No, I think he played like, didn't he have like a Hall of Fame career? I don't know. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but, he, but there's probably a good case he should be. That's a whole other story. He's at least a movie waiting to happen. Yeah. Definitely. Like enough, enough on him. <laughs> right. We got an answer. Come on. You got, you got right. one more answer. You're, you're supposed to I be mean, rescuing well, us. Let's say Negro Leagues. I mean, it's, uh, I'm assuming. I mean, who played like late? What about like, um, uh, how about some Cuban players? Anybody yeah, from about that? Uh, Torriente, did he did he ever play in the big leagues? Uh, yeah, I really have no. Well, and and they are players, right? They're not like managers or anything well, tricky this, like that. We need a pitcher too. Pitcher, oh gosh, correct players. Uh, 
No, we have Pat Satchel. We have our pitcher. No, we need three oh, pitchers. Three pitchers. Oh, yeah, forget yeah, it. Yeah, we have, okay. Well, should we right, just so give let's, up? Let's throw Jim Morris in there. Maybe he was actually 40. Didn't uh, tell we're, the truth. We're, like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're terrible. Um, we, uh, we have no chance. All right, let's, let's throw uh, so like, we're gonna just, um, Oscar Robinson, Robertson, and... Uh, Oscar Robertson was a basketball player. <laughs> no. But there is a Milwaukee connection because he played for yes. the Bucks. I know. Big O. And Jordan did No. It. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, Michael Jordan be. didn't make the big leagues. And and, uh, Other than that, that's uh, Clemente Alvarez. I'm throwing that out there. All right, so Clemente. Satchel Page, Clemente <laughs> Alvarez, Eddie Goodell, and <laughs> we're going to pretend Minnie Minoso pitched. I don't know what we're doing. Right, right. Well, there's no chance we got this right, right? <laughs> no. That was pathetic. So Satchel right. Page is the only one that's right. Satchel Page. Yep. All right. Yeah. Now you better. Bob Euchre's first home run. Bob Euchre, who was his first home run? He called. Oh, he hit his oh. home run off of somebody. What? Uh, that's that's the Milwaukee connection, but I yep. still don't know the answer. <laughs> Diomedes Olivo. Yeah, you had the right idea, Doug. Yeah. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. In the ball right, who, and who, who are the other two? Ken Takahashi, third Ken. pitcher. Ken, when did Ken Takahashi pitch? I don't have any recollection of him. I don't know much about his career either. <laughs> but he came over from uh, Japan, I think. Right, and we so we have okay, so we have that in common, and then Ken we have Takahashi. So we're looking for wait, hitter? one hitter, one his World War Two era. Mm. Oh, they were desperate for players then, but I have no idea. No, I'm out. Ken Does sta- or- statue? Does it have a statue? Nope. Okay, Ken. Let's hear it. Another another nope, Ken. It was Chuck. Is your first name? Oh, Chuck. It's not Klein. Bradley, <laughs> we have no chance. Just Hostetler. <laughs> Chuck Hostetler. Chuck, Chuck Hostetler. Chuck Hostetler. All right. This, 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 all right. Well, yeah, we had no whatever, shot of this. Whatever else we've accomplished, we, we've this, these are the the, the most possible <laughs> obscure answers ever. Show me a question. Like Doug, this question was so hard. Not even your devious cheating scheme would have helped us. <laughs> no, we, we would have gotten one, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, like no we're all right, we're, but at least we're back on tri- track. Uh, <laughs> we got a couple of these right in a row. So that now this makes two in a row. We've gotten wrong. I think if I had the math right. We're now four and twelve, or that would be three and twelve if we count only the non-Doug Glanville questions. <laughs> but whatever, I like if it. You listen, That's pretty good. Is it? It's not that good. Uh, if you listen regularly, you know that. Well, if you listen regularly, you know that whether we get the question right or get it wrong, we still bring in the mayor of Starkville to rescue us with a great slice of play-by-play that involves one of the answers. Except this week, this just ends. Something terrifying must have happened down at Starkville City Hall because our mayor, Tim McMaster, is nowhere to be found. Instead, the one-time evil mayor of Starkville, (laughs) Mayor Cam, is back in charge. Cam, what happened to Tim? Did you stage a palace coup or something? Listen, Jason, I'm not into (laughs) self-incrimination. I'm not going to say anything. But just know Tim's all right. He'll be back next week. But I'm honored to be here with you guys. And as for Bradley's question, really good one. It's kind of hard to find audio dating back to, you know, 1940, 1950s. But fortunately, through the miracle of YouTube, we have some audio from Satchel Page, 1948, in his age 41 season, his very first year 
in Major League Baseball pitching for the Cleveland Indians in the World Series. So for Christopher, it's going to be Satchel Page. So Russ Christopher was unable to get anybody out. And here's the announcement about the appearance of Satchel Page. Listen. So we'll see what Satchel Page is able to do as he makes his first World Series appearance. Ready for the payoff pitch to Tommy Holmes. Here it is. Tommy swings, sends a ground ball out to short. Taken on two big hops by Lou Boudreaux. Throws on over to first in time for the out. So Satchel Page got him out. All right, I love that. That like, there's some stuff you don't hear very often. Uh, Bradley, you inspired that with your question, man. So great wow. work, and thanks for joining us on Starkville. Appreciate it. Thank you both. Thanks, Bradley. Appreciate thanks, it. I'm going to look all these guys up now. <laughs> yeah, right. Strange but true. Doug, every week before we go, we delve into the strange but true stuff that happens in baseball every week. But you know what? Every once in a while, uh, the stuff we talk about in this segment also causes other humans to ask, has that Jason Stark guy completely lost his noggin? And <laughs> I, I think I have an item that could once again <laughs> cause that question to uh, to spring up out there. But we're going to go ahead and do this anyway. Uh, here's the deal, Doug. Uh, last week, Rockies had a, a rookie named Connor Joe. When he stepped to the plate, he had zero big league homers, and then he did this. This ball, speaking of long balls, deep center field, way back, and gone! Connor Joe, welcome back to the big leagues. His first career homer. Yep, Connor Joe hit his first career homer, Doug, and a normal human would think, wow, that's cool. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, here's what I thought. (laughs) Well, I'm going to do a leaderboard for most (laughs) career homers by guys whose last name should have been their first name. (laughs) Connor Joe, you get it? Uh, Okay, so um, I'm going to give you my leaderboard. Then we'll get to the controversy part of this. All right. Okay, here, here, here's what we did. Um, number one on this list, obviously, Babe Ruth. Ruth yeah. is a first name, correct? That's Seven, right. Good 14. one. Frank a- Thomas. Thomas, definitely yeah. a first name. 521. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murray. Murray's a first name with 504. Yeah. Good one. And Larry Walker, because Walker mm-hmm. Bueller makes that kind of a first name, right? He's yeah. 383. But then in doing this list... I ran across Ted Williams. He's got 521. And I had to ask myself, okay, is Williams with an S an actual first name? And since this was my note, I decided, no. (laughs) No, 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 no Ted Williams, no Billy Williams, no Daryl Evans, no Dwight Evans, no, no plurals. But not everybody agreed with that. So, Doug, is, would Williams be considered a real first name or not? No. Can't, can't accept it, I think. And uh, and for your list, I think it, it'd be so much more scintillating if you went backwards. Instead of starting the highest home run totals, <laughs> the lowest. You go from zero up. And I'd yeah. be curious to hear those, those names. Yeah, there'd, there'd be a lot of zeros. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Okay, so I did this list. 
But then, you know, like normally, like normal people would then move on to their next thing. But no, I couldn't do that because I thought not only should Connor Joe's last name be his first name, but his first name should also be his last name. (laughs) So then I did another list, most career homers by a guy whose first name should be his last name, and his last name should be his first, his first name. And I, I went with Ryan Howard, yeah, three eighty two. But then, like, I started thinking too. Well, there's also Frank Howard. But if I ruled that Frank Howard was the answer, then I'd have to worry about Frank Thomas. <laughs> right. I don't think Frank's an actual first name, is it? Or, yeah. or last name? Well, Whatever. Yeah, I know Lawrence Frank, the basketball yeah, clipper. So that's right, you know. your buddy Lawrence Frank. Yes. There are there are some Franks. I know some Franks, but it doesn't tough matter, one. does it? It's that's tough a tough one. one. Yeah, I, I, I like I like I like the standard. Yeah, I just want to remind you that Doug, I spent actual time out of my actual life on this. This is time I could have spent with my friends and loved ones, but no, I spent time looking this up. So, so let me ask you. I wrote this. What is wrong with me? What? Uh, yeah, I, well, I think it'd be as compelling. First of all, if his, if his first name was Morning and then you had Joe, I think then you have a complete <laughs> coffee revolution. I would. Uh, like Ian Happ in Chicago. I know he has like a coffee business on the side, you know. Uh, I know there's a show, Ordinary Joe. I mean, I, so I think there's Connor was a little edgy for compared to Morning Joe. And I just think right away they should just give him a coffee contract no matter what he does. And, you know, if he stays up for the rest of his career, congratulations. Uh, he had a home run to straightaway center field, too, at, at, at Coors Field. Very Coors, impressive. A little cool swing going on, but yeah. yeah. Very good swing. Yeah, well, look, we- I, I like his story, like, though. Yeah, yeah, good story. Uh, not that great a note, but it got us to a few minutes of this podcast. So what could possibly be wrong with that? Don't yeah. answer that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for another edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Doug, we hit second in a great lineup uh, every Monday, leading off with Ken Rosenthal's mailbag, and we show up. Then Thursdays, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Fridays, Derek Van Riper and Keith Law. All these shows are great. Please check them out. You can also listen to the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic app or on the Athletic website where it would be ad-free. And you can find our show in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you might go to find your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe and give us one of those five-star ratings. We would be eternally grateful. If you'd like to read our work, or any of the incredible writing on our site, especially this week at the baseball trade deadline. There's no better sports writing being done anywhere than in The Athletic. So if you thought about subscribing, we're still offering a fantastic special. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you can subscribe. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week, we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here and prove once again there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong, or in the case of today, horribly wrong. (laughs) To do that, 
You, ha- you can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or you can fire those questions at us on Twitter. If you wanted to fire a question at Doug Glanville, how would that work, Doug? Well, just at symbol and then D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Doug has just correctly spelled his own name, so I'll spell mine. At J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T, at Jason S-T. Remember, hashtag those questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Jim Bowden for visiting us. Thanks to Bradley from Milwaukee for the fun trivia question. Thanks to the returning evil mayor, Cameron Molina, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville.